Our sermon text for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. This is the word of the Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognizing and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down and in groups on the green grass. Sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the uh, broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5000 men my wife will tell you that i am glad to share everything i have with anyone except for my food she knows that there's no way we're going to go to a restaurant and share a meal or that we're going to cook just enough food whenever we show hospitality at our house. No, I didn't grow up in scarcity or in great need. I just really enjoy my food. Now, I'm sure Indy would agree with me that when it comes to preparing way too much food for guests, only one person beats me, and that's her mother. For her, it's never enough. So I'm sure you can imagine what happens whenever my mother-in-law and I come together to prepare food for a family gathering. It's leftover and leftover and leftover for the rest of the year. Turkey soup, turkey sandwiches, turkey meatloaf, turkey tacos, turkey with rice and beans, turkey with turkey, turkey, everything. Food in abundance is a blessing. It brings joy. It helps us know that God is there, that He cares, 
He helps us know that God is our provider. He helps us know that God provides for our every need. Some of us might have experienced abundance in our lives. Others of us might have experienced just enough. But the mere fact that we are here today indicates that we have, we have never lacked anything. King David, throughout his entire life, affirms, observed throughout his entire life, and affirms, I have been young, and I'm old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mountain, affirms to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They, ne they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God has no problem providing for His children with all that they need. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. And yet, sometimes we doubt that God is willing to provide for our every need. Today, Jesus is going to challenge his disciples to trust in him to provide for their every need. God provides for us according to His wisdom and not ours. Not only so that our physical needs may be met, but so that our faith may grow. God does not provide for us according to what we think we need. God provides for us according to what He knows we need. Our story for today is again one of Jesus' most popular stories, certainly a Sunday school favorite. The feeding of the 5,000 along with the resurrection of Christ are the only two miracles that are told in all four Gospels. Clearly a momentous event in the ministry of Jesus. And yet, this is a time in which our Lord seizes the opportunity to teach, to teach His disciples that if they are going to live for Him, they will first need to rely on Him to provide for their every need. We can only live for God if we first trust God. This is true of the disciples this is true of every Christian that has ever lived. This is true of us. The call to live for Christ is a call to believe that Christ himself will provide abundantly. We'll see this at the end. Abundantly for our every need. 
So today we're going to see Christ provide in three ways. At first glance, we may think that here Christ provides just food. He provides more than that. He's going to provide both the crowds and his disciples with rest, with teaching, and with food. So let us consider first rest. Now, as I mentioned last week, verse 30 is the closure of a Markin sandwich. We've already seen a few of these Markin sandwiches in our study of the Gospel of Mark so far. The Markin sandwich is a literary device Mark uses to emphasize the heart of his teaching in a certain section. And the middle story in the Markin sandwich tells us what Mark wants us to grasp now let me take a minute to just say this the only reason why we're able to see this mark and sandwich is so clearly is because we've been studying the gospel of mark verse by verse right if we were jumping right around or selecting certain texts we would not see the totality of what mark is trying to say so if you're wondering pastor lucas why do we study the bible like this well i believe we We study the Bible like this because it helps us understand more than what we just see when we study sections of the Bible separately. It helps us to see everything that Mark intended us to see. But not only that, we study the Bible like this because we want the pulpit to influence your devotional life. We want the pulpit to inform you of how you ought to read the Bible. So when we study the Bible like this, we get the depth of the authorial intent. A few weeks ago, we saw Jesus sending out his disciples to proclaim the message of repentance and to to display his miraculous power. In that story, Jesus tells his disciples that not all would receive them well. So they should shake off the dust from their feet whenever they are not received well. Jesus was preparing his disciples to experience rejection and persecution. But how severe should the disciples expect this persecution to be? The interrupting story that we saw last week tells us. Last week we saw that John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, a holy man, was killed for speaking the truth of God against an ungodly generation. Now, verse 30, the disciples return and they're about to join a journey with Christ that would cost them their lives but christ doesn't only call his disciples to give his lives or their lives for him christ first dies for his disciples he gives them his life christ never calls us to go places where he has not been before christ never calls us to do that which He is not willing to do himself. Perhaps the central verse in the Gospel of Mark comes from Mark 10, 45, 
where Jesus tells his disciples, For the Son of Man did not come or came not to be served, but to serve. And how would the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, serve? He would give his life as a ransom for many. If Christ had never given his life for his disciple, dying for him would make no sense. If Christ had never died, John's death would have no purpose. Christ had never died, our death would have no purpose. But if Jesus died, and if he died for us, dying for him is simply a way for us to enter eternal life. If Jesus died for us, our death is full of purpose. But it's not time for the disciples to die yet. Right now they're learning how to live with Jesus. And part of the life that Jesus is calling them to live is a life of rest. One of my former pastors back in seminary used to often remind us, young seminarians, that sometimes the godliest thing we can do is sleep. Rest is part of a holy life. Rest reminds us that God is God and we're not. When we rest, we trust in the sovereignty and in the control that God has over all affairs of men. Jesus invites his disciples to withdraw to a desolate location because ministry has been busy. The disciples had had no time to even enjoy eating a meal. Jesus wasn't saying that his disciples hadn't eaten. He was saying that they didn't have time to enjoy eating. Now, that's something many of us can relate, can't we? Can relate to. Life can get so busy that we start eating out of duty rather than delight. We eat in our cars. We eat standing up. We just heat something up real quickly in the microwave, and we get food out of the way. And yet, Jesus is concerned for his disciples. He does not think that we should live like this. Jesus is concerned that they're working so hard that they're not getting the respite they need. This is a beautiful demonstration of Jesus' holistic care for his disciples. For, for his disciples, for him, they were not just a means to an end. He loved them. They were not just pawns that he used for his personal interest. No, Jesus was interested in them as a person. Jesus was interested in them as a whole. Jesus was interested in how they felt. Jesus was interested in their well-being. Jesus wanted his disciples to not only be efficient in ministry, he wanted them to flourish. I love this word, flourish. Flourishing doesn't mean that we have a laissez-faire approach to life. 
I will only do what I enjoy, but anything that challenges me, anything that does not go on my I enjoy doing this list, I will refrain from doing that. No, that's not what flourishing means. Flourishing in life is when we find an appropriate balance between leisure and labor. We flourish when we produce good things. We flourish when we rest. We flourish when we know the right balance between the two. We flourish when we know that there is a time to work and there is a time to rest. God has not built us to live as though we are God. God does not need to rest. And yet He does. He does so that He can enjoy His creation and so that He can demonstrate or display to us the right balance between work and rest. Psalm 103 verse 14 says that God He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. In a balanced relationship with rest demonstrates that we know the difference between us, the creature, and God, the creator. God does not sleep or slumber. We do. In other words, true rest comes from faith, comes from believing that God is is who he says he is and that he does what he says he does faith in the sovereignty of god and faith in the finished work of christ will enable us to rest properly if we believe that god is in control and we are not we will not fall prey to the idea that we sustain our own lives with our hard work therefore we can sleep therefore we can take a few days to rest. Therefore, we can leave work at work. Therefore, we can trust God. But not only that, if we believe that Jesus died for us, we will believe that we have already entered our eternal Sabbath rest. Therefore, no one is able to experience rest in the same way Christians experience rest. So I wonder, does your life reflect the fact that God is sovereign and that Jesus is your Savior? Does your schedule reflect that? Does your sleeping habit reflect that? What part does faith play when we're trying to keep up with an ever messy home, when we're trying to keep up with dinner and homeschooling curriculum? What part does faith play when we're working so hard so many hours, and yet inflation seems to render my many hours of work as not enough? What role does faith play when you work so hard to stay health, healthy? but your body fails you. And of course, friends, we, we all need to be always evaluating our commitments and simplifying our lives. And if you don't know how to do this, if you are busy for the sake of being busy, 
there's so many here that can help. Mama, if you're, if you're drawing into a responsibility, if you're drowning into your responsibilities at home, there are ladies in this church who understand, who have been there. Gentlemen, if you are at the brink of burnout because work and family and ministry is demanding from you more than you can give, many of us understand. Set up a time to meet with another man in this church or set up a time to meet with another woman in this church that can help you navigate the busyness of life. However, it is not always possible right, to simplify our lives. The promise that God makes of rest is not a promise of inactivity, but a promise of activity with purpose, activity with faith. He calls the burden and the heavy laden to come to him and in him experience rest. So if your life right now can be described as heavy laden and burden, you are a perfect candidate to come to Christ. He understands you. And friend, we will truly experience rest once we give up our feeble attempts to control our lives and realize that God, who controls the universe, is not idle when it comes to our lives. Friends, Jesus worked hard every day of his life. But at a point, he said, it is finished. He sees from his works. And you know what is great about that? That he invites us to experience his finished work today. Sure, we will experience his finished work in a greater way once redemption is done. But we can today understand that we do not live to justify ourselves before God. God has already accepted us because of our faith in Christ. Therefore, therefore, we do not work as though God is expecting us to work for our salvation. We rest on the cross of Christ. And when Jesus said it is finished, we believe it and we embrace the finished work of Christ. But not only that, Jesus also provided the crowds and his disciples with his teaching. So let's consider now teaching. Now this rest that Jesus had proposed to his disciples was short-lived, wasn't it? Jesus departed with his disciples in the boat. Okay, notice that article there. It's a specific boat. We're going to see that the following week, next week again. This was probably somebody's boat, maybe even Peter's boat, that was designated as the mode of transportation for Jesus and his disciples. But the crowd knew that boat. They saw it, and they followed the boat by land. By the time the boat reached the shore, an immense multitude awaited them. I can imagine the disciples, tired after their intense missionary journey, they were expecting a time of rest, a time that they would be able to eat with leisure. But instead, they get the persistent crowd. 
in their minds, they were probably bothered by the crowd's needy attitude. They come to Jesus for their own personal benefits, but not us. We're around Jesus because Jesus needs us. And throughout this story, we see that pride keeps bubbling up in the hearts of the disciples. But Jesus chooses compassion over comfort. He looks at the crowds and sees what their greatest need is, the gospel. He sees the crowd and identifies their problem. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus did not prioritize social action. Jesus did not prioritize activities. Jesus did not prioritize anything but the teaching of the word. Now, that's not all that Jesus did, but his emphasis was in the teaching of the word. When he sees the crowds and notices that they are like shepherd without, sheep without a shepherd, he gives them his word. Now, don't be mistaken here. It was not the case that the disciples were tired and Jesus was not. No. We've seen Jesus sleep in the back of a boat in the middle of a raging sea. Jesus understands our weaknesses because he experiences, he experienced them. But Jesus prioritized the needs of people over his own. The other day I saw a video of a famous singer arriving at his house. And as he was stepping into his apartment building, he was met by two fans asking for his autograph. In the video, you could see that the singer was tired, that he was bothered by the fans. So he turns down their request and walks into his apartment building. I can't tell you that I blame him. I can't tell you that I don't understand this singer or that I would respond very differently. But Jesus would. Jesus would respond very differently. No, he wouldn't give people his autograph, although that would be really cool, right? I have Jesus' autograph. No, he would stop. He would see them for who they are. And he would give them what they needed, the gospel. Jesus, from the beginning of the gospel of Mark, has been prioritizing the teaching of the gospel as the central part of his ministry. And this is why we, see, we seek to do the same here at Central Baptist Church. If anyone ever asks you, what is Central Baptist Church about? Here's what you would say. Central Baptist Church exists to proclaim the gospel for the hope of the lost, for the edification of the church, and for the glory of God in Christ. If Jesus emphasized the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of his word, we must do the same. So what does this mean? This means we are a simple church who does simple things. We believe in the ordinary means of grace. We gather around the word of Christ and we believe in its 
power. We will feel tempted to believe that we can become a greater church by doing more, by being busier, by adopting the latest church growth strategy, by being more attractional. But friends, these things are all lies. Why? Because we don't need to become a great church. We are a great church. Why? Because we proclaim a great message. Because we worship a great Savior. You realize this? We don't need to go anywhere beyond where we are to be a church that honors God and obeys God. We need to find satisfaction where we are. Why? Because we're faithful to the Word. And, and this is what faithful ministry looks like for Jesus. Faithful ministry is a ministry of proclamation of the Word for the hope of those who need the Word. And who are they? Well, the lost and the church. But beyond that, Jesus also provides for the crowds and, he, and his disciples with food. And this is where the heart of this story goes today. In verse 35, the disciples identify a genuine problem. The crowd is gathered at a desolate place. By the way, this is not a desert. Okay, it's simply a place that was away from towns and cities. Uh, we read later on in the passage, right, that the people sat on green grass. So this was probably a beautiful countryside Galilean place. And so, uh, so the crowd is gathered there, and the place is desolate. No fast food places around, no restaurants to accommodate such large numbers. Little Caesar does not have their $5 hot and ready special, which now costs $6. I don't know if you've noticed that. So what should they do? They suggest, something, they, they suggest sending them away so that they, the crowd, can find food for themselves before it gets too late. But Jesus had a different idea. In verse 37, Jesus gives a surprising answer. You give them something to eat. I can only imagine the expression on the face of the disciples at this point. Jesus, you can't be serious. Jesus, we're tired. Jesus, we can't possibly accomplish this task. Jesus, you must be mocking us. But friends, Jesus was not mocking them. Jesus was teaching them the heart of Christian ministry. At the heart of Christian ministry, we are all called to do that which we cannot accomplish. What Jesus was doing here was saying, in order for you to accomplish what I am telling you to accomplish. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to rely on me. Jesus was capable of feeding the entire crowd without any help from his disciples. 
for 40 years, Jesus himself provided from heaven bread to Israel. Paul tells us that Jesus was the rock that followed Israel in the desert, providing them with water to drink. Jesus, being God, has no need of help when it comes to providing for his own. Jesus enlisted the help of his disciples not out of a personal need. He enlisted the help of his disciples for the purpose of blessing the disciples with an opportunity for ministry. If we ever feel inclined to think that God calls us to do the work of ministry because he needs us, we need to stop and reevaluate our understanding of who God is. Psalm 50, verses 9 through 12, God is speaking to his people and saying, Do you think I need the sacrifices that you present to me? Do you think I need you to do anything for me? So God says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, which God is never hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do you think you serve God because God needs you? Oh friend, you have not understood who God is. So why does God tell his disciple to feed the crowd? Well, for two reasons. First, Jesus is testing their faith. Faith that is not tested is worthless. This is what Peter tells us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, okay, trials, put faith, to test, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The disciples have seen Jesus cast out legions of demons. They have seen Jesus calm the seas. He has seen, he has seen, they have seen him heal the sick, the lame walk, the blind see. They saw Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. Is there any room for doubt? Absolutely not. Can Jesus provide for this crowd's every need? He absolutely can. Jesus knew that their faith would be tested in greater ways in the future, so he was preparing them. Friends, likewise, Jesus calls us to trust him in the little things and in the big things. Jesus has placed a call in your life that is beyond your abilities. And He will accomplish the call if you trust Him. But Jesus was also teaching His disciples to be like Him. Christ-likeness is the goal of the Christian faith. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
That is the goal of sanctification. So if Jesus ministered to the crowds, his disciples needed to learn to minister to them as well. And friends, this is why we live a life that is dedicated to the work of ministry. This is the responsibility of every believer, but we don't do this because God needs us to work for Him. We do the work of ministry because it is good for us to model our lives after Christ. If, we, if you have children, you can probably relate to this. It is easier to go ahead and clean up the mess that they make, isn't it? It is easier to go into their room and clean their room. Sometimes the battle for that is fierce. Sometimes you tell your children to go pick up their mess, and the mess grows. And yet, how will, how will they learn to clean their room if we're always cleaning it for them? I remember one time, a friend of mine told me, Pastor Lucas, I was having lunch with a co-worker, and he had questions about the gospel, so I gave him your number. <laughs> so I said to him, no friend, you go answer his question. The same spirit that I have is the spirit that you have. You go answer his questions. God, in his wisdom, has appointed the church to be a place where ministry takes place. And as we minister, we become like Christ. Do you want to grow in Christ-likeness? Serve as Christ served. Halfway through verse 37, the disciples still don't understand. They're thinking they need a natural solution while Jesus is about to show them the power of the supernatural. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat i think there's more a statement more to this statement than first meets the eye i think that there's a little bit of sarcasm from the disciples towards jesus here a denarii was a day's wage for a worker probably a 200 denarii would be the equivalent of 10 to 15 thousand dollars so 200 denarii was a considerable amount of money, no pocket change that the disciples would have sitting around. Besides, even if they had the money available, where would they go to get food for the large crowd? We learned that there were 5,000 men in this crowd, and this does not include women and children, so we could possibly be talking about 15,000 people. Now, it is logistically demanding for us to prepare food for 50 people, which we do every Wednesday. But can you imagine what it would be like to prepare a meal for 15,000 people? There's no way the disciples believed that they could possibly accomplish this task. But friends, hear this. Ministry that is faith-driven will always cause us to depend on the supernatural power of Christ. I can't tell you how many times in the past 15 months I've prayed, Lord, you must 
do something here because if you don't, I have no idea what to do. And you know, friends, I have seen the Lord answer this prayer over and over again in the past 15 months. You do not want to have a church that rests on the natural power of your pastor. You need a church that rests on the supernatural power of Christ. My weakness is for your benefit. Because in my weakness, the power of God is displayed. And that is true of all of us. So notice at this point, what happens? Jesus takes charge. He's about to perform the supernatural. So he sends his disciples to find food in the crowd. And what do they find? They find five loaves of bread and two fish. An excellent diet, right? By the way, excellent diets, carbs, proteins, and fats. Jesus knew his macros. I remember when I was a kid in Sunday school, um, I had a Sunday school teacher that was very much like Miss Patty, uh, who is just hands-on. Uh, Boaz comes home always raving about what he learned from his Patty Lag in Sunday school class. So the teacher was teaching us the story uh, that we're studying this morning. So she brought to the class bread and fish. It was probably sardines, which are quite common in Brazil. And I remember eating it and thinking, hmm, I don't know about this meal. But I promise you, if Jesus fixed you a meal, even if you don't like fish, you would love it. Because Jesus meets our every need. Jesus organized the crowd in groups. He takes the bread, takes the fish, gives thank, thanks, and shares the food with the crowds. And look at verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. How did this happen? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Liberal scholars have tried to explain this miracle away by implying that Jesus used deception. But friends, the reality is that Jesus is God. He is the agent of creation. He created the whole universe. It is not hard for him to create bread that was not needed or baked or fish that never swam or was ever alive. What the crowd saw that day is that Jesus is able to supply for their every need. And I wonder, do you sometimes doubt that Jesus is able to supply every need of yours? Are there areas in your life where you think, Jesus doesn't care about this? Friends, Jesus didn't just come to give us bread and fish. He came to give us himself. And if we have Christ, we have everything. Teach your heart to sing this song daily. If you do not experience this truth, it's not because Jesus is not providing for you, but it is because your faith is too weak. Don't wait for your circumstances to change in order for you to believe that in Christ you lack nothing. Friends, our greatest problem is the sin that separates us from God, but Christ died for us. He took on himself the punishment for our sins. He bore the wrath of God for us. Friend, if you believe that Christ is your justification and your righteousness before the Father, if you believe that Jesus gave himself for you, 
what good thing do you think he could possibly withhold from you? Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us freely, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We must believe the promises of God. No, this is not the prosperity gospel. Remember what we said in the beginning. God does not provide for us according to what we think we need. He provides for us according to what He knows we need. So yes, we do live in this world with unfulfilled desires, but never with unfulfilled needs. And friends, even if a at a level, even if at a level of desire we feel unfulfilled today, one day when Christ makes all things new, new and calls us to His heaven, we will be able to say with David, You make known to me the paths of life. In Your presence there is fullness of joy. At Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, before we finish, let me bring up one more thing from our text. Notice verse 43. The disciples pick up 12 baskets full of bread and fish. What is the relevance of the number 12? This is not an insignificant detail. One basket for every disciple. Mark wants us to see this in the text, that the disciples that died, doubted Jesus, the disciples that were skeptical about Jesus' plan experienced great fulfillment for their hunger, for their desire to eat. Mark wants us to see this so much so that in chapter 8, G8, Jesus brings this event up again to his disciples and asks them, when I broke the five loaves, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces? Did you take up? And the disciples respond, 12. Friends, we can think that God will provide for everyone and we are dedicating our whole lives for the work of ministry and He'll forget us, but He will not. He will fulfill our desires beyond our imagination, beyond our expectation. Jesus is making a point that He will provide for His disciples beyond their need that is true of them and this is true of you as well you will never outgive jesus you can give him all of your life and he will give you back more friends let us live our lives trusting and believing in the provision of christ for our every need would you pray with me Father, help us. We need to know that you fulfill our needs. We need to know that we lack nothing. Father, we need to know that in Christ, we have experienced every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and that the promise of a renewed earth and a renewed heaven will have every desire in our hearts fulfilled. We pray that you help us know that today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.